we focused on forgiveness and forgiveness being a gift. So I brought a gift for you, and Amazon didn't deliver it early enough, and then we couldn't find it on the campus to actually give it to you um, on Tuesday. I wanted to give it on Tuesday. So, Cindy, I'd like you to open this, please. Yes, and I have something. <laughs> well, you can keep the bows. <laughs> Sure. Sure. Just do it like you do at Christmas time. There you go. So I wanted you each to have a little tiny cute gift box to remind you of either giving or receiving the gift of forgiveness. Something to remember the things that I've been able to share with you this week that you can keep to remind. So I'll put it, Cindy, maybe we can just put it on the table at the back and just, yeah, you can just pick one up on the way out. By the way, I've really appreciated being here on the campground. I've appreciated meeting some of you. You've been so hospitable and friendly, so thank you so very much. I want to begin by sharing with you um, a very special little friend. Super smart, clever, happy, fun, rambunctious kid who's just a normal boy. But Derek Page, tragically, half of his life, his little short life, he fought very virulent form of leukemia. And he always amazed us because he got leukemia when he was five years old. And he was in and out of the Loma Linda Children's Hospital more in than he was out. And he was such a trooper. And his mom was always posting pictures of him on Facebook and videos of him. He was very, very clever. And he would build Legos that would be, you know, he would have them with remote control and moving and different things. He was just a really bright, happy little child. His cancer went into remission at one point, and the Make-A-Wish Foundation, uh, Foundation flew him and his family out to Washington, D.C., and he had a great time there. And then they came and spent a very happy weekend with us after having visited at the General Conference and just got a whole bunch of things marked off of his little precious bucket list. And we had a wonderful time with them uh, together. This was the last picture that his mom posted of him. And this, hap this was posted maybe 10 days, two weeks before he passed away. And here he is, happy as can be. He was always cheering up all of the nursing staff. He was a real little angel, an incredible trooper, never once complained, always strong in his faith. And at the end, he said, Mommy, it's okay if I go to sleep because I know Jesus will wake me up. And that's what happened. And his mom on August 24 posted this. Derek's brave battle ended peacefully at 445 this morning. The hope of heaven is cemented in our broken hearts. The hope of heaven is cemented in our broken hearts. That really, really touched me. And I thought a lot about that because you think of, you know, how concrete works and how it takes different uh, components to make concrete hard. And their broken hearts were cemented with the love of Jesus and the hope that they had in the second coming. And, the, and little Derek was restored and given back. Titus 2.13 says, Looking for the blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior.
Thomas Brooks said this, a Christian will part with anything rather than his hope. He knows that hope will keep the heart both from aching and breaking, from fainting and sinking. He knows that hope is a beam of God, a spark of glory, and that nothing shall extinguish it till the soul be filled with joy. So powerful. I want to share with you a story that happened uh, some years ago in uh, the country of Angola. We had a project, a production project. We called the Project Hope, Hope Channel. And it was something that I let out in around the world, in different parts of the world. And we would go into a, lo a city, a location, and set up a temporary production studio. And in a few short weeks, usually less than a month, we would shoot over 100 pro programs that were locally produced with the content that was contextualized for whatever that country was or that location was. It was a very exciting project. And we had one scheduled for Angola. Uh, and this was in January. Of 2009, I believe it was, or 10, I can't remember. But anyway, everything was planned. I had visited a couple times. We had all of the um, various programs were in production process. Uh, we had a technical team. Because they speak Portuguese there, we brought in some of our technicians from Brazil, from our Hope Channel there. And we were all ready to go, but the equipment had not gotten into Angola. And so we had a big problem. And we didn't know how to get it there. It was just after the holidays. In fact, in South Africa, there were still lots of holidays going on. And every way that we tried, it was just going to be like impossible for various circumstances. And I remember having a discussion with the division president at the very last. He says, Candace, do whatever you can. The people of Angola have been through so much through the years of the Civil War. Please do everything. Don't leave any stone unturned. We're behind you. We support you. Just make it happen. So we were down to the point that the only way we could get the equipment in would be for me to fly in with it. Now, it's not just like flying with a couple suitcases. We're talking about flying with 33 boxes and cases of equipment um, that weighs somewhere around 1,200 pounds or 1,400 pounds or something. So this is not easy to do. Now, I had a ticket to go, and so did my, uh, my sister-in-law and my nephew were coming along as volunteers. So we actually had three tickets, but I knew that that wouldn't be enough. And so we went to the airlines at the Johannesburg airport the day before I was scheduled to fly. And we just popped in in the morning, and I asked to speak to a supervisor. Well, it turned out that the supervisor had been on holidays and had just popped back into the office just that hour. He was just there. And I showed him my ticket, and I said, you know, is there any way you can help us? Um, I need to have 33 tech bags. And he looked at me like, what? <laughs> and I told him the approximate weight of everything, and he said, wow, I don't know if we can accommodate all of this on that flight that you're going to be on. But he said, let me see what I can do. I'll be here tomorrow when you check in, and please come to the, the first class counter, and I will help you. So I said, that's great. However, there was a big, big problem. I did not have a visa for Angola. I didn't have a visa. And they were supposed to fax me a visa. They were working on it on that end, but they, you know, for days had gone by and I hadn't gotten a visa. And that night when I went to bed, I knew that the next day was a make or break. We would either see God's hand work through a miracle and board that plane and get all that equipment into Angola, or the whole project would be called off. And I could not face the disappointment that that would mean. And as I was laying there, unable to sleep, I had my precious Bible with me that's traveled with me everywhere. And the Lord took me to Romans chapter 5. And I'm just going to read this text with you here. You're, I'm sure, familiar with the passage. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we also glory in tribulations or sufferings because we know that tribulation produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. That phrase, hope does not disappoint, just leaped off of my Bible. 
rest of the night, I praised God with promises because hope would not disappoint. And I said, God, I don't know how you're going to work this out tomorrow, but I know that you will because hope does not disappoint. So what happened? The next morning, we headed to the airport. All of the baggage was there. And there you can see trolley cart after trolley cart with all of this baggage for the equipment. I had my tickets, and I didn't have my um, visa. We were working with Angola. We were working with the business office downstairs at Johannesburg Airport, back and forth with phone calls, and I just said, let's get in line, and we just kept letting all the first-class passengers go past us, just like this, go, 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 and I'm waiting, I'm waiting, I'm waiting for my visa. But I knew that hope does not disappoint, and I would get my visa, right? One hour before the flights to depart, they called me. They said, we have a visa for you downstairs. We have a paper that's come been faxed through. I raced downstairs. I got it. We went over to the first class counter, and there was the, the gentleman. Now, the next big hassle was that they could charge us up to $8,000 for all of that baggage if you go just by the kilos per kilo. And I was praying that, God, please, you know, your church just doesn't have this money. And again, hope does not disappoint. And he looked at all over and he said, I'm really sorry, I just need to charge you a little bit. And I paid less than one quarter of what it could have been. I was happy to pay it. So then they loaded all of our baggage onto these carts and we boarded the airplane. And I couldn't believe it because I had a first class seat. I've never flown first class in my entire life. And I was a little bit kind of perturbed with my travel agent because I knew that my ticket had been changed several times. And she's, she, I knew she had put me into business because there was nothing else. But I, didn't, I couldn't figure out how I'd gotten this first class ticket. And then as I sat there and thought about it, wait a minute, because I had my first class ticket, that's where I got first class service. So here I am with this rose, they're offering me champagne, which I don't drink, and I'm exhausted. I've just had all this international travel, we've just been through everything, and I'm sitting here on the airplane, and then all of a sudden this fear stabs my heart. It's like, we're in the Johannesburg airport, all of that baggage has electronic equipment in it, and the baggage handlers are notorious for just opening bags and taking whatever looks good. And it happens. I can tell you stories about that. And I'm just like this shot of electricity goes through me. Oh, no, Lord, please. We have no redundancy. We need every single little piece of cable or whatever it is. We have to have everything to do this production project. And again, hope does not disappoint. Relax, Candace. It's going to be okay. Hope does not disappoint. And you know, we landed in Luanda, and I still had to get a proper visa, so they allowed me off the airplane and put me straight into immigration, and my sister-in-law, my nephew, and I said, just stay by the equipment, don't allow anybody to take it anywhere, just wait for me. And we got there and we counted all 32 boxes there, nothing was missing and nothing had been opened because hope does not disappoint, praise God. And we had an amazing experience as we drove into Huambo. Huambo was the center of some of the most horrific fighting in Angola. These are some of the buildings that we saw when we were there. One Sabbath, we went to visit our Adventist hospital. It was completely shot up and destroyed, but I was so touched by the little children that were there. And God gave us an incredible experience with that production project. We were in the seminary building when the students were no longer there, so we took the mattresses and literally stacked them around the walls so that the room would not echo so much for our recordings. I'm not sure how God helped us do it, but for every production we had a set God gave us things that we could use for the set it was very difficult the most difficult thing that we faced there were two things one was every day at about two o'clock it would the heavens would open and it would pour and the production was being done in a room that had a tin a tin roof a metal roof and so when we were to begin through the days we were setting up and getting everything ready, I realized this is going to be a huge crisis because people were coming through on a schedule. They only had that one chance to be in the studio. If we didn't get them during that slot, we would not be able to record their program. So we gathered the whole team and we knelt down and we pled with the Lord to hold back the rain. And every single morning, we pray the same prayer. And the Lord held back the rain every day until our recordings were finished. Around quarter to six, 6.30, the rain would start to come, and it would deluge the place. But God held back the rain because hope does not disappoint. We had an old, old, old uh, 
generator. We couldn't do one minute of production without gen that generator running. And that thing was so dilapidated, we literally had to go out there and put our hands on it and pray for it, because it would stop and there would be nothing we could do. And God kept that generator running. God gave us the most incredible experience in that series. It was just amazing. And the stories of people that came through and how God helped us. We didn't have any crops. And one day this guy shows up and said, I heard you were doing something here. I'm a painter. Can I help you? I'm like, yes, we need something for our children's program. And he just painted this glorious thing for the program was called Rainbow of Love. And God just helped us over and over and over again. And that whole experience was just absolutely incredible and completely um, was life-changing for me as this promise came alive in a way that I've never seen it in my entire life. Hope will not disappoint. And this afternoon, I want to unpack with you what that scripture means. We'll go through it step by step and explore what hope means from a biblical perspective. So first of all, in a world with so much turmoil, suffering, and pain, the peace that passes understanding comes only through a saving relationship with Jesus Christ. And that's something that each one of us are invited into, peace with God. And then we have access to the unspeakable gift of grace and salvation that Jesus has given us. It's free to everyone. It's freshly packaged up for us each and every morning. It's there for us. And there's absolutely no price tag because the price tag would be so big, nobody could ever pay it. And nobody could purchase this gift, and it's ours every single day, the gift of grace. And then where would we be without hope? And here Paul says we can rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. This is our hope. This is what we are living for. This is what we are praying for. This is what we are witnessing for. It is the hope of the glory of God when Jesus comes again. But then Paul goes to this ladder, suffering and perseverance and character and hope. So let's take a few minutes and look at this. Rejoicing in suffering. Suffering can take on many different forms. One can suffer with a blip of various health issues. There's suffering from poverty. There's suffering from loneliness, suffering from abuse, etc., etc., etc. Suffering is a very real part of living in this world. Recently on Facebook, I was chatting with an academy of friend, and unfortunately he's completely left the faith. But he was posting about his son that had been uh, had tragically died about 10 years ago. And he was had written a very poignant letter about the loss even 10 years on. And I posted, as I wrote back and chatted with him, I posted this. I said, the only one who gets joy, any joy out of this, is the devil. The only one who enjoys suffering is the devil. And that is just the reality. Tim Keller, in Walking with God Through Pain and Suffering, he has this most interesting quote, and it's a fairly lengthy quote, so I actually broke it into the quote into two segments, the false religious teachings and Christianity. So let's go through this. Contra fatalism, suffering is overwhelming. Contra Buddhism, suffering is real. Contra karma, suffering is often unfair. Contra secularism, suffering is meaningful. There is a purpose to it, and if faced rightly, it can drive us like a nail deep into the love of God and into more stability and spiritual power than you can imagine. Praise God for suffering, because some suffering allows us to experience God in a way that we would never, never have the opportunity to. You know, Jesus said, blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way, they persecuted the prophets. So rejoicing in suffering invites us to persevere, I'm sorry, to embrace forbearing under challenging circumstances. Rejoicing in suffering invites us to embrace forbearing under challenging circumstances. And Jesus warns us against false accusations. But and when the 
know that happens, what should we do? We should praise and celebrate under the duress. So that's usually not what we feel like doing when we're being called, uh, you know, being accused of things that are just totally, completely false. You know, I'm reminded of Saul. Jesus in the priesthood of his saints was being persecuted when Saul was out there doing what he was doing. And he was righteously doing this. He was persecuting the believers. We need to remember that when we are committed to Jesus and we are under attack, it doesn't matter who is responsible, Jesus, who lives in us, is the one who's really being persecuted. And it's not us. And after his conversion, Paul had plenty of persecution, and he wrote very beautifully about what he experienced with persecution. So here you see Jesus speaking to, to Saul, why do you persecute me? And he's, he's like, who is this, Lord? I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. So please, I invite you to just remember that. When you have been falsely accused, or sometimes in our families, in our church families, our communities, when we're falsely accused and we're, our hearts are, are, are alive in Jesus Christ, the accusations, the persecution is really targeted at him, not us. We need to remember that. Here's another quote from that same book, Walking with God Through Pain and Suffering. And Tim Keller says, Jesus lost all his glory so that we could be clothed in it. He was shut out so we could get access. He was bound, nailed, so that we could be free. He was cast out so we could approach. And Jesus took away the only kind of suffering that can really destroy you. That is being cast away from God. Going on, same quote. He took that so that now all suffering that comes into your life will only make you great. A lump of coal under pressure becomes a diamond. And the suffering of a person in Christ only turns you into somebody gorgeous. Amen? That's exciting. So there is a, there is a reason for suffering. Suffering is a legitimate part of God's family. Yes. <laughs> let's, uh, let's, while we're off, can we just test my video too? So since we've kind of interrupted for a second, let's just make sure I have audio on the video because I want you to hear this. Okay, let's pick up now with suffering produces perseverance. I guess it will come in a moment. So, enduring gracefully through the painful road of suffering produces perseverance. As long as we live on this earth, we will be confronted with painful experiences. And we can either let those experiences break us or by God's grace, persevere and receive the crown of glory that, that God promised us. Speaking about perseverance, this is a, just a little bit on the side. Our youngest son, well, all three of our boys took music lessons growing up. And by the way, tomorrow, if you come, I'm going to show you just a couple pictures of our family. So I'm going to introduce you to our family. But our youngest son... Um, took piano lessons, and he had an extremely good piano teacher. And she was absolutely amazing. They would, he would come, and okay, he's a kid that's like eight years old, and loved hockey, and of course we were in Canada at the time, and so they would sit there and chat about the Canucks, and I'm like, I'm paying for piano lessons, you know? And she's chatting up him on the Canucks, because you know that was the best thing, she had such a bond with him, he would do anything for her. He went on eventually to study organ performance at Southern University. He played that big organ at Southern and studied under Judy Glass. And we just had a chance to reconnect with his piano teacher again. And I was, it was so funny because we were emailing back and forth and I sent her pictures and you know different things. And, and he wrote this long letter you know, of all the different stuff he had studied at, and done on his uh, recitals. And he, got, he won the concerto con competition so he played with that also and with the orchestra. And it was really exciting. But what I thought was funny is that he wrote in his letter to her, he said, um, my only regret is that I didn't persevere in practicing harder when I was your student because you were such an amazing, amazing piano teacher. So, yeah, perseverance, suffering produces perseverance. Maybe, maybe he thought that it was his parents were making him 
by taking <laughs> piano lessons. <laughs> We're really having a storm out there. Yes. Suffering produces perseverance. Yay, thank you. <laughs> no hallelujahs. <laughs> okay, boy, this microphone and I today, we're having an interesting time. Okay, speaking about uh, perseverance, I'm reminded of Helen Keller's story. You all know her story. She said this, character cannot be developed in ease only through experience of trial and suffering can the soul be strengthened, ambition inspired, and success achieved. And who would know that better than her who lived in the night of blindness? I want to introduce you to a, another friend of mine. Her name is Lisa Volato. Now, Lisa is autistic, and we're going to watch a video with her in just a moment. It has been an extremely rough road for her and her family. I've known Lisa since she was just a, just a tiny toddler, and I've watched her grow up into this gorgeous, beautiful woman, but she does not speak. She cannot speak, and she has had many, many challenges with her autism. Her mother has fought for her like unbelievable. She has pushed through unreal barriers. She has taken on every single challenge to, to give her girl the chance of every possibility to get an education. And it's been inspiring just to watch what her mom has done for her. They finally had a breakthrough when I think she was around, uh, she would have been about 14-ish, somewhere 14 or 15. Um, they got an alphabet board for her so that she could actually spell out the words and begin to and communicate with them, and it was like lights went on in her mind. Finally, this, you know, being in this frustrating environment, she was able to, they were able to get a breakthrough. And that girl, in that year, that school year, went through something like from grade four through grade 10 or something like that in one year. She was so bright, and she had a way to communicate, she just whizzed through it. So, interestingly enough, she ended up graduating with her class that she had been through all those years of school, but she hadn't been allowed to learn with them, and then she took this huge leap. And at the time of her graduation, this film, or this clip was made. Now, her sister, her older sister, graduated from Anderson University. In her senior project, she did a video, a documentary film called Sisterly, and she documented what it's like to have a relationship with a sister who's autistic. And if you want to weep, you go watch Sisterly. It is phenomenal. It is amazing. And I asked for this clip to show you what perseverance does in a family who would not give up and be satisfied with anything less than the best. Um, Lisa is in the third year of community college right now, and she will com complete her associate degree in life science, and she plans to go to a four-year university to pursue a degree in biology specifically the area of neurobiology. It's Lisa's dream to be part of a scientific solution for autism. So here's a clip that happened at the graduation of the academy that Lisa was a student at. Grit is something that's been defined by psychology significators over time as someone who has grit finishes what they begin. You stick with projects and activities try very hard, even when they're faced with the possibility of failure. And they keep working hard, even when they feel like quitting. And it's my pleasure and my honor to recognize Lisa Bolotti.
that's been defined. Isn't that amazing? She's graduated. She's in college now. She has to have an, an aide that's with her because she shows what to write, and the aide does the writing for her. But she does all of the work herself. So, sorry, let's see if I can move on. So Romans goes on to say, you need to persevere. <laughs> I need to persevere, Cindy. <laughs> this microphone and I are going to persevere. <laughs> So that when we have done the will of God, you will receive what he has promised. And that's in Romans. And there's a whole passage in Romans. I referred to it yesterday that it's become very precious to me in the challenge to persevere and the things that uh, I've worked through in my own personal life. Now, I'm sure most of you um, have seen and followed somewhat the story of Meghan Markle and Prince Harry. Well, it's pretty much a storybook tale. And being a Canadian and, of course, part of the Commonwealth, we do sort of follow it than our American counterparts, although I know that there are some Americans that do like it too, and after all, Megan is an American. <laughs> so it's a, it was pretty much a fairy tale romance and wedding, uh, complete as only the British can do it with all the pomp and ceremony, and it was incredibly amazing, especially for Vail, by the way, if anybody has seen it, it was incredible. And she was wearing a diamond uh, bandau that was part of Queen Mary's that was worn when uh, Queen Mary married Prince George, the Duke of uh, York, back in 1892. So, you know, she was able to get the heritage of all of that. We're God's children now, but when Jesus comes, we will receive the honor reserved for God's royal family. So the Duke and Duchess of Sus Sussex now is a very flawed human example, but here's Megan, who's received a new home, she receives a new name, a crown, new family, blah, blah, blah. Can you imagine what it will be like for us when we enter that golden city and Jesus puts a crown on our head and we receive whatever that name is he gives us and we are part of God's family for eternity. Oh, my brothers and sisters, I can't wait for that. And I know it's true because hope will not disappoint and that is our hope. Praise God. But perseverance, first there's suffering, and then there's perseverance, and perseverance brings character. Ellen White says this about character. The harvest of life is character, and it is this that determines destiny, both for this life and the life to come. The harvest is a reproduction of the seed that is sown. Every seed yields fruit of it after its kind. So it is with the traits of character we cherish. Selfishness, self-love, self-esteem, self-indulgence reproduce themselves, and the end is just the same. Love, sympathy, and kindness yield fruitage of blessing, a harvest that is imperishable. So the harvest of life is character. And character is something that uh, we are when nobody sees us. James also says, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. And look at this poor puppy been trained to be so patient for his snack. Let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. What is James promising us there? He's promising us that if we persevere through the suffering, if we persevere through whatever we have to go through, we can let patience have its perfect work, and we will be complete in Jesus Christ, lacking in nothing. The ideal of Christian character is Christ-likeness. There is open before us a path of constant advancement. We have an object to gain, a standard to reach that includes everything good and pure and noble and elevated. There should be a continual striving progress onward and upward toward the perfection of character. By beholding, we become changed. And by dwelling on the love of Jesus and the love of our dear Heavenly Father, by contemplating the perfection of the divine character and claiming the righteousness of Jesus Christ as ours by faith, we are to be transformed into the same image as Jesus. Amen. And here's my little grandson. There's his face.
Pastor Ellie, his mother, sent to us just yesterday. He's just arrived back in Portland, Oregon, to await the arrival of Jane's little brother. And so he woke up in his crib in their home in Portland with his new big panda there, happy as can be. Well, the formation of character, Ellen White says, is a work of a lifetime. And I look at little baby Jane, and I look at how his parents are teaching him. Um, and, you know, you're reminded once again, you forget that, but this incredible role that a mother plays. And our, some of us are pastoring mothers in, in, for our families, but we can be mothers in our congregations. We can make a difference in our congregations. We can help to have healthy and happy congregations because that's the role of a mother in the home. And we can do that as women's ministry leaders, as women in our congregations. Instead of being caught up in some of the dramas and things that tend to go on in congregations, let's be happy homemakers in our churches. Let's do what we can to help people have a safe environment to grow, to be able to experience the love of Jesus their lives in a safe environment to be able to be who they are and go through the learning curves and the hurt and the pain and the suffering that produces perseverance, that produces character because hope does not disappoint. So she said the formation of character is a work of a lifetime and it is for eternity. If all could realize this, if they would awake to the thought that they were individually deciding our own destiny for eternal life, or eternal ruin, what a change would take place. That's a challenging statement. And then character finally brings hope. Character is who we are. It's what defines us. It's what others see in us. And it is who we are when no one is looking. That's character. It's what God knows about us. Someone said, and it's unknown, I don't know who said it, the real test of your character is how you treat the people you don't have to real test of true character. True test of character is not how you are on your best day, but how you act on your worst day. Ouch. And Abraham Lincoln said, nearly all men can stand adversity, but if you want to test a man's, or may I say a woman's character, give him or her power. Mm, yes. Christ in you, the hope of glory, and that is all the time, to everyone we come in encounter, that like the said of the disciples, they could tell that they had been with Jesus. Desmond Tutu said, hope is being able to see that there is a light despite all of the darkness. There's a light despite the darkness. In the darkness of our world, what is the light? The light is us. The light is Jesus shining through us. And that's what we're called to be and to do, is to be that light. Fred Bittner again says, Hope is not measured by the lack of trials, but by what we learn about Jesus when we walk through the trials. What we learn about Jesus. And he goes on to say, Suffering produces endurance or perseverance. Endurance shapes our character. And the knowledge that Jesus has successfully led us through trials before gives us the confidence that he will see us through the next one. This confidence in God's provision is the kind of hope which does not lead to disappointment. So in the Bible, there's a number of things that we can learn about hope. A biblical hope does not escape us from reality or problems, but in fact, hope will put us in gear. I shared with you that I grew up on a farm. I had two beautiful radiant horses, and I love horses to this day. In fact, God and I have a deal, because when I married my evangelistic husband and gave my life entirely to evangelism, I sold my horses, because you can't have horses in a city. I would never ride my horse in a city when I grew up riding them on the open range. And so God and I have this deal about the horses he's going to give me someday in heaven. <laughs> but there is nothing, promise you, nothing like sitting bareback on a horse that's full of a ton of energy. Some of you are nodding your head. You know exactly what I mean. 
and you're giving them the single signal. They know that they're going to go, but you haven't let them go yet. And there's this tension underneath that every muscle is taut, and they're just ready to go. And then you let them, you release them, and they go. And sometimes it's straight up, and then they're in a hard gallop going down. There is nothing like that. And this is what I see in the Bible. Hope will put us in gear. If we really believe that in the hope of the Bible, and hope does not disappoint us, we won't have a stagnant life. We won't just be static or passive. God will put us in gear with that hope. And we will have a dynamic life that's active, it's directive, and life-sustaining. And this is everywhere, obvious as we read the word. If you take up the concordance and look up the word hope, you will find reference after reference pointing out the active results of hope in the lives of those who truly have a biblical hope and live accordingly. And I want to take just a few minutes now to go through some of the things that hope will do for us. Hope de- or that, that are important for us with hope. Hope depends on knowing the word of God. Romans 15, for whatever was written in earlier times was written for our instruction that through perseverance and the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. Number two, hope depends on knowing and resting in God's grace. 2 Thessalonians 2.16, Now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father who has loved us and given us eternal comfort and good hope by grace. So we can rest in God's grace and hope depends on knowing that grace. Hope demands a, depends on a spirit-filled life. And now may the God of hope, Romans 15, fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Colossians 1, verse 5 and 6 says, Because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, of which you previously heard in the word of truth, uh, has come to you just as in all the world also it is constantly bearing fruit and increasing, even on as it has been doing in you, also since the day you heard of it and understood the grace of God in truth. Hope depends on a spirit-filled life. And that filling, infilling of the Holy Spirit needs to be on a daily basis. There are so many rewards, the Bible tells us, in hope. There are so many blessings that are. And I'm reminded of that song. It, I think it's entitled, I Have Fixed My Mind on Another Time know that song? I mean, that's an incredible song of the second coming, a beautiful anthem, and I love the words of that song, but there are several things there that uh, the three foundations in the corner of that song, reliance on God, dedication to God's service, and expectation of Christ's return. That's what hope is all about, isn't it? If you were going to wrap it up in one passage, that's what it would be. Hope gives us joy and through whom also we have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand and we exalt in hope of the glory of God. Romans 5, verse 2, gives us joy and peace. Hope gives us protection. Psalm 33, Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him, on those who hope for his loving kindness. Hope gives us strength, courage, and boldness. Bible says, be strong, just like this little polar bear cub is, poking his little nose out of the cave with the big world out there. Be strong and let your heart take courage, all of you who hope in the Lord. So hope gives us strength, courage, and boldness. Hope gives us comfort in death. And isn't that so true? I don't know if you've had the opportunity to attend funerals memorials of people who are completely unbelievers. I remember one of the first funerals I attended of that. I was in my late teens and asked to play the organ at a funeral home. The family was a small family, and the boy was just in his late teens and had tragically been killed. And I sat at the little tiny organ at the back of the funeral parlor, and I watched people just throwing themselves on the crying and sobbing and screaming. And I thought to myself how different that is than a funeral where, yes, we grieve the loss of a loved one, that's a dear friend, but we have a 
that beautiful hope that we will see that person again. That hope, my friends, that hope in itself should so electrify us that we should be able to share that with anybody and everybody. And that this blessed hope, the Bible says, we do not want you to be uninformed, brethren, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as do those who rest behind their hope. We have such a blessed comfort in death. I thank God for that. I have a very, very close and dear friend this week who is in ICU and doing very, very poorly. And my husband and I have talked about the inevitable. And in my heart, although I hate to say goodbye to my precious friend who's like a sister to me, I know that someday I'll see her. She's the sweetest, most beautiful girl, saint you would ever wish to find. And her hope is in Jesus. And my hope is also in Jesus because hope does not disappoint. Exactly. Hope can give us confidence in ministry. 1 Timothy 4, verse 10. For it is for this we labor and strive because we have fixed our hope on the living God who is the Savior of all men, especially of believers. Biblical hope is not a mere desire for something good to just happen. It is a confident expectation and desire for something good the future. When we say hope in God, it does not mean let's just cross our fingers and, you know, hope. Like, I hope it's not raining when we leave this meeting today, <laughs> or thundering or lightning. <laughs> and I hope my microphone works till 210. <laughs> no, hope is this incredible expectation for something in the future. And William Carey has said it so well. He was a Baptist missionary in the late 1700s expect great things from God. That's the Christian hope. Expect great things from God because hope will not disappoint. Hope will not disappoint because God has poured out his Holy Spirit and we can experience forgiveness. Praise God for forgiveness. The gift of salvation for the second coming, for the resurrection, for the hope of eternal life. All of these are promised to us because hope does not disappoint. And I praise God for that. I thank God for that. I want to take you back to Angola. It was my privilege one Friday evening while our team was there. And by the way, God allowed us to complete our production project with all of the problems we had. God was so faithful to us. And in 19 days, we did 119 half-hour programs. And people came from all over the country. I remember one afternoon, there were two motorbikes that rode up to the building where we were doing the production. And four guys got off the motorbike. They were covered from head to toe with mud. And, you know, we talked to them, and they had come over 300 kilometers, so well over 200 miles. They had driven through the rain on dirt roads to come and sing one song as a quartet for Hope Center. One song, 300 and some miles, that kind of sacrifice. But we had experience like that after one after another. But this one Friday evening, I asked some of the local leaders to come to the place where we were staying and to share with us what it was like to live and to be a faithful Seventh-day Adventist during the Civil War. We stayed together till after 11 o'clock at night, and tears flowed freely as they shared their hard experiences and how God had persevered time and time again as the bombs were falling, as they were left with nothing to eat. They were chewing on corn cobs as they would boil to try to get a little bit more food out of them. Incredible stories of perseverance, incredible stories of suffering, incredible stories of hope the character that our brothers and sisters in Angola have because of what they've endured is mind-blowing. I remember saying to them, how can I ever stand before you tomorrow and preach when you have so much to teach me? I have no idea what you've gone through. And my brothers and sisters, whatever you've gone through in your life, maybe whatever you're facing right now, I want to encourage you to remember that hope does not disappoint. There is an end. 
we can expectantly, excitedly look forward to that end. And God will help us. He will be with us because he's promised and he is faithful. And hope will not disappoint. Tomorrow we're going to end our seminar. And the title is called On the Winning Team. And for those of you who consulted your brochure this week, yes, I did jump around a bit. But tomorrow, Friday, is On the Winning Team. If you have your Bibles, you may want to bring them. We're going right into the heart of Revelation. And it's a story of victory, a story of triumph. And Natasha is going to sing for us. And I'm going to, at the end, by God's grace, share a story of a time in my life that was extremely difficult when I nearly left the church. So I want you to be here to share that story of God's testimony in my own life. Thank you for being such a wonderful audience. Thank you for putting up and persevering through all of the technical issues. Let's stand together and let's pray. Our dear, loving Heavenly Father, oh Lord, we just want to give you glory and honor and praise. You are such an awesome God, and you've given us so much. And you, the Bible is rich with promises that can sustain us on a daily basis. And Lord, but most of all, our hearts are overwhelmed when we realize what hope means to you and what you have given us in the gift of hope, and that. Through the promise of the Bible, we know that we can be sure that you will not disappoint us, and we praise you for that. I pray a blessing, Lord, on each person in this room. Lord, you know the suffering, the personal pain. You know the challenges each one faces. Lord, I ask that you would give them the strength and courage to persevere through the suffering. And Lord, that as they persevere, their characters will become Christ-like represent you, dear Jesus, to all those with whom we come in contact with each and every day. And finally, Lord, may we just be faithful and found amongst your children who in 